Welcome to episode four, friends. Here we are. I'm Frizzy. I'm Julie Slater. Jason Friday. It's the Cuz I Have To podcast when living your dream is the only option. Our second guest is a second generation sommelier and restaurateur from Chicago. He has a slight obsession slash passion for champagne. I, I think champagne is such a, a great ambassador for wine in general in many ways where it kind of brings people together and it, it, it creates a conversation and I think that's what's so beautiful about the region and the wines that we create that really compelled me uh, right from the beginning. He is currently the U.S. ambassador for Charles Heitzig. He also serves on the board of the United Sommeliers Foundation in the support and development of future sommeliers. We hope you enjoy this. And probably the most important fact, he happens to be my nephew. And in this episode, he talks about working at Oceanique. That's a restaurant my brother Mark owns in Evanston, Illinois. And if you want to follow along, we mention his Instagram account, which you should totally check out. It is Neek Som, N-I-Q-U-E-S-O-M-M. His name, by the way, is... Philippe André. As you can see, you're our second interview. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm proud of it. Oh yeah. Party. Oh, yeah. So I want to start start oddly from the beginning, where it all started for you that okay. you got into and and the correct pronunciation. I hear so many people saying sommelier differently. Yes. Uh-huh. What is the correct pronunciation? Yes, sommelier. Um Sommelier. Yeah, you hear some people say sommelier. Um, yep. and, uh, you know, it, it is, uh, we, as we, as long as we all understand that we're talking about the same thing, I think it's okay. You know, yeah. I don't get, I don't get my feathers ruffled for a simple thing as sommelier. that. Sommelier. Sommelier. Are you a sommelier? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, no, I think, I think it's a, it's a term that is important for people to kind of connect around, you know, are you a wine service professional or a hospitality professional um the title itself has evolved uh, dramatically over the last few years and more importantly uh this year with covid because you have the term traditionally has been connotated with someone who is in wine service and hospitality at a restaurant perhaps you know or at a hotel or a venue where wine is being served and while that is very true I'm still a sommelier, even though I don't practice my service at a restaurant anymore. You know, I don't, I don't lose my talent or skill level. So I think we are challenging the system and the title itself to evolve with us as we do and as an industry and as wine professionals. So, you know, you have a lot of sommeliers actually who have never worked in wine service, frankly, which is really fascinating to see some people who are, have reached really high levels of uh, credation without even ever working at a restaurant. Um, wow. That's interesting. So, yeah, it's fascinating. And I think at, at the end of the day, you know, they offer different types of experiences to their, you know, to the community and the people that they work with. than obviously I would after spending, you know, 10 years on the floor in fine dining. So um, I, I would say that there's a definitely a community of people that say, well, you're not a sommelier if you're not working on the floor. And I get their standpoint. And then there's a community of people that say, well, why do I need to work on the floor if I can pass these tests and I can, you know, if I know the material and I know how to do the form formal service, there's a test, you know, it's, it's literally like, uh, it's like best in show, you know, you're, you're, you're right, the dog. Yeah. Uh, right, so, right. so it's kind of like, well, if I score high enough to get my 
certification, then why can't I be a sommelier even though I don't work at a restaurant? Which, um, like I said, there's there's multiple camps that I think would argue about that, the logistics. At the end of the day, I think about hospitality and taking care of the community in terms of wine lovers and wine drinkers. And so for me, a sommelier is somebody who um, is guiding or uh, helping to promote wine lovers' education and advancement in their passion for wine, whether it's at a restaurant or a wine shop, at a winery even. You know, if you're in a tasting room and you receive people and you're showing them your wines, in many ways, you are the host and you are the sommelier. You know, I don't think I don't think you need to be just at a restaurant to provide that level of hospitality. I think we should promote that more than just well, where restaurant are you at? And, you know, is it a Michelin starred restaurant? Are you, a, yeah. you, know, well, you know, all that stuff. I think it's, I think we need to make, we need to make wine, wine fun and accessible again. And if we right. keep putting up these barriers of, you know, oh, well, you know, you're, you're not this level SOM or you're not this, this restaurant is not as, you know, accredited. I don't think that matters as much as it used to. And I don't think it ever should have mattered as much, frankly. It seems like a really big thing. Like I had a minute where I thought, well, maybe I should get into the wine business. But then I realized for myself that I only liked certain wines and I only cared about the wines I like. So then I realized I couldn't help others. How many times have we tried to get you to drink some other stuff that you're like, nope, not even touching it. <laughs> Nope. Don't even want to. I don't even want to smell it. I don't even want to smell it. It should not even touch my, Get away from me. Glass. I, yeah. I don't like the way the bottle shape looks. I don't like, you know, <laughs> no. So, um, no, I made the right decision. That's funny. You made the right decision. And I appreciate, I'm proud of you for knowing, you. uh, immediately yeah. that that probably wasn't going to be the best spot. I, I've, I've met and I've really been proud to coach and mentor a lot of folks in our industry, uh, I can't tell you how many times I've tried to coach people to not join our industry uh, for one reason or another. Right. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a brutal gig, and, and especially when it comes to the distribution side of our business, which is a, a challenge on its own, and it's a grind. You know, it's it's a lot of work to, you know pick up a bag of wine every day and go out there and be told no a hundred times for that one time that somebody says yes, you know, that's, that's a grueling yeah. process that no matter what your accreditation is or your passion level, it's hard. You know, you, you only have so much in your cup, so to speak, to, to share. And so I've met a lot of very passionate individuals who wanted to get into the wine business and that being their first kind of go at it has been really hard for them to either stay in the business or um, more importantly, decide if they want to actually join it in that capacity. So I, I've had to tell people, I said, hey, look, you know, you're doing great in your career. Just keep doing it. You know, make enough money so you can buy your wine rather than have to, you know, switch your career and, and challenge yourself to, to kind of join a, an already exhausted community in many ways. But, you know, I never wanted to tell people to know you can't you can't follow your dreams. I just think it's important that people are aware of some of the grueling challenges that come with our industry. And you know, um, I follow your Instagram and it doesn't look like hard work at all. It looks like party after party, oh, man. delicious food and drink. Yeah. You know, no uh, yeah, I, I appreciate that. It's taken me 15 years to reach that level of um, balleringness, I guess you could say. Um, but, but, you know, Instagram is, it does a great job of showing you, the 2% of my life that I want to share with you. 
So, you know, if I can, if I can really focus on what I'm doing at 8am till, you know, whatever the time comes when I put the laptop down, then, and if people want to see that, by all means, I'll I'll film it and you guys can sit along with me. But um, I'll tell you, it's not as exciting as it may always seem to be. And I think what what I've always tried to present with Instagram or social media is that we get to have fun. There are some moments that we do, but you you best believe that the hard work that is not on camera that goes into this is uh, is 90, 98% of the job. And I think that's something that, again, I try to explain to people when they say just like that, they say, holy shit, man, you're on a private jet drinking champagne, eating caviar. Like, how do I get to do that? And I'm like, Yo, I don't even know how I got to do that. You know, so <laughs> so um, I'm trying to figure it out too. But right. but at the end of the day, it's there's a lot of there's a lot of back end hustle that that is relevant for almost any career. You know, I think you, right. you we challenge ourselves in many ways to to succeed, and a lot of times, you know, it's it's those times that don't work that you know make the times that it does so much sweeter. Like I said, it's like if I pitch a hundred people today and I get one. You know, I'm 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 high as a kite. You know, I'm happy. You know, that's I'll take it. And if we do that every day, you know, we walk away with seven big wins for the week, man. You know, that's huge for for our winery. We're so small that these little wins add up to a whole lot. It is it is a grind. And um, you know, it, 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 again, I, I think it's important that we share our passion and our character. I think it's important that we show who we are. Uh, for many years in my career, I was always told to not be who I am and to conform and to be, you know, what the customer wants or what the brand team wants. And, um, you know, I think we're at a place right now where our consumer has been, you know, they've, they've gotten this watered down presentation for, for decades and, um, and they're ready for something real. And I think what's really special about what I'm able to do with our winery at Charles is really show you, like who we are, you know, and, and that's something from day one that I was so proud of is that my conversation with the family and our winery team is like, I asked them, I said, is there, is there, you know, a, 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 you know, a type of a way that you want me to, you know, present Charles and speak about Charles. And they were like, no, like you tell us how to present the winery that's in cool. the US, you know? I love so that. Yeah. Um, I've been able to create a narrative or more importantly, just trust my gut and myself as to what I think would be fun and would be engaging and powerful for, you know, the consumer and for the trade, which is our sommeliers and our, our, our retailers to want to hear about what's, what's exciting about our, our, our winery and the history. You know, I mean, every, every winery, I think that is great, has a great story along with it, but Charles Heitzig has one of the greatest stories, I think, in all of wine history. And so to be able to have like that, that power and responsibility to share that story uh, makes the, 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 the personality, personality, I think, show you how important it is. And like the, the way that I, it can be conveyed and explained um, really means a lot to the family and obviously to, to really create that connection. Uh, from France to the U.S. market. And that really is such a beautiful thing for someone to tell you, I want you to be you. I mean, I bet, have you had in the past other places you've worked say, hells no? I mean, you have a very strong Um, personality that's beautiful. (laughs) And it's kind of awesome to, I mean, just even down to the clothes you wear and all that. Yeah, um, your whole presentation of you. Yeah, you I mean, are. Do you yeah. feel like that this is the first stop 
of really being able to be you? A hundred percent. I mean, I, I, I think everywhere that I've been before has, I've, I've challenged, you know, the system in many ways, whether it's, you know, outside of our doors or internally. I think it goes back to, you know, the ability that I had and privilege I had growing up is, is to be myself, that my parents instilled in me and my family and my friends. And, you know, as a young kid, you're still trying to figure out who you are. And I would even say as a young adult, you're still trying to figure that out. So I think as my career progressed, I always led with a big chunk of who I am and everything that I've done. And I think that's led me to great success and it's led me to great opportunities. But I will, I will say like, this by far is the opportunity that I feel like I am able to truly be myself. And I know that, you know, I have a, the support, the full support of uh, my family behind me that, that owns our property and, and the team at the winery. I mean, I, it, it really has been a dream come true from day one, where almost to the point where I was like, this sounds a little fishy. Like, it sounds like too good to be true. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and I, think, I think that's because I kind of got hurt a couple of times in previous roles where I felt like, you know, either, either my employer didn't have my back necessarily or that they just they wanted me to conform. I, I wasn't really happy with that. I felt like they were missing the point of, of me being different than everybody else. And so while I understand in many ways, like we have to think about our customer first. Um, I think this is the first time that I've really been like, by me being myself, I actually am thinking about the customer first, because at the end of the day, you know, we're not necessarily the ones who are drinking the product. And for us to say that, well, we are just this, this, we're this community. And that's the only community that we want to, to be, to, to be associated with. Like there's, we, we love anyone who loves great wine. That's our community. You know, it's not just about champagne lovers. It's not just about Charles lovers. It's anyone who likes great wine and wants to have a great experience with others around them, around a table or at a, at a you know, at a, at a, at a place like that's where we deserve to be. And I think by showing that, you know, our, our family and our winemaking team is behind everybody kind of being themselves, you know, it, it empowers our consumers to say, wow, like I've never met, you know, a champ, a winery or a champagne house that celebrates us just as much as they celebrate themselves. Yeah, it's, it's special. It really is. I mean, um, it, was a, it was a special moment to hear that from our winery director and, and to go through kind of the whole process of, of joining the team. And I moved to New York, you know, which was crazy for me to think about even being possible and to be kind of the face of a historic brand in the U.S. is, is also uh, historic. I mean, I'm the I'm the first person of color or, or African-American, I guess you could say, to be the national ambassador of a champagne house ever. Um, wow. So that's, wow. that is, uh, you are you leading know, the charge. It's 2020. No shit. <laughs> Do you feel that pressure? How much, rad. like, how, how does that feel on your shoulders? Um, I, I, it feels right, you know, and I think, I think it's because I saw other black wine professionals when I was growing up and when I was coming up and I saw them kind of pushing and paving the way that they've opened the door for me to kind of kick it open, you know? And like, yeah. if I, if I couldn't see that, I don't think I would be here, frankly. And right. I, I hear from people, you know, the next generation or the current generation that's in the industry right now, sending me notes saying, Hey, thank you so much for paving the way. And I'm like, that's great. I'm not really paving the way. I'm just making it wider. Like, let's just, let's just, you know, there's, there's a, 
there's a generation before us and probably even before that that have earned, you know, what they could. And we're kind of carrying the torch now for the next generation. So I see everything going on now and I'm proud of it. I'm proud of the momentum for sure. But I just want to make sure that there's, you know, there's more opportunity out there for folks to join our community and to really take it on as their own. Because the moment that we start talking about conforming and, you know, this is the way that it should be done, we're immediately excluding some people. And that's not, a, that's not okay. And I, and I, I refuse to, uh, to hang up my, uh, my cleats at the end of this career and say that I didn't go out there and leave it all on the field. You know, I think that's the way I, I feel about it. And I've been given this great honor and responsibility to carry and conduct business for a, a historic property. But at the same time, they've empowered me to to show the industry what can be done when you have that talent and when you have people who are different that work together for a common goal. It's it's truly an underdog story. And at the same time, like we're we're setting the stage for you know the for the next generation and for the future of our industry. Unity. Yes. Right. Let's go. So it brings us all together. <laughs> Where would you when do you think like, when was the moment that you realized this was the path for you? Like, how young were you? Oh, man. Um, I, I, I think I was probably in my mid-20s, you know, um, working, working at, uh, at my family's place, Oceanique in Evanston, um, not knowing what the hell I was going to do. Um, but at the same time, I knew that I had an opportunity to connect with people. And I had a feeling, I, I felt like I connected with wine intimately at a level that most people probably couldn't, let alone at my age that I was at. Um, so I would say, you know, when I was 21, 22, and I felt like I was talking about wine with other wine professionals that would come into our restaurant to present their wines or to, you know, come for dinner. And it felt like I was fluent in the language already, or if not, you know, pretty, pretty easily. And so I think that's kind of the way I look at it is like, when, when did I feel confident that I could hold a conversation with a winemaker or an importer or a distributor about, you know, general wine, whether it's regional or, or actually their property is when I felt like, you know, really empowered to continue pushing myself. And then it was like that really the first moment of like, when we taste a wine and we talk about what we're feeling in that moment. And that like was crazy for me to feel like. I had a voice, you know, I had, I had a way to share what I was feeling and thinking, and I didn't have a repercussion of like being wrong. You know, I think that was the, 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 the privilege that, you know, I had at that time that I, I try to convey to, to folks now is that, you know, what you're tasting and what you're feeling is, is yours. And that's personal. Right. You know, no one's yeah, going to tell you sure. that you're wrong. And I think that's the brilliance of wine and obviously connecting with people who are very different. So I think that's like, that's like where it all started was literally, you know, tasting wine with pops and, and being like, oh my God, did I just say that? And then everyone's like actually looking at me and being like, yo, you're right. And I was like, what? I'm right. Oh my God. I'm right. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> you know, like, okay, what else is there? And they're like, no, 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 slow down. You, you got one, you got one, you know, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think I think it was definitely my early 20s uh, where I was like, wow, this is something really cool. But I'll tell you, I had no idea that, you know, that that what else was out there. I think my focus was really in, in those those four walls of what can we do to elevate the experience of our diners 
And wine knowledge was something that we really needed help with at the restaurant in terms of service. There really wasn't anyone dedicated to wine service or to the wine program. And so, you know, it took some time, but we were able to really elevate that by focusing on that with um, some of the other servers. And, and we were able to kind of build a crew of people who were passionate about wine and wanted to learn. And then eventually we became to a point where we created, you know, the, the sommelier role actually at the restaurant. There was, that was not there before I was at the restaurant. So. Um, and you helped, I mean, Mark at Oceanique has one of the best wine sellers. I know Pete has said, uh, one of our mutual friends, Pete has one of the best wine sellers Pete. in the world. Yeah, be, yeah I mean, literally. You're a part of helping develop that, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I, it was incredible to to start there because Mark put together an incredible list from you know over the years, and let's see, I, I was there probably like you know oh four two thousand four. So 89 to 04. Yeah, I can't do math right now. But anyways, he had a couple of years to get it going. But I but I but I remember specifically like when I was tasting with him and we were kind of like focusing on wine, he was buying a lot of wine and a lot more wine than he ever did. And I think in our in our heyday, you know, over the course of like two years, we went from like 500 different wines to almost 1200 different wines. So we wow. completely wow. grew the program dramatically because he knew that, you know, and, and I'm, I'm not going to put words in his mouth, but I felt like he could, he knew that there was someone that was focusing on this. There was an obvious return on it. And he saw that we were selling these wines. And so we could, we could reinvest into the program. And the more that we did that, the more return we were able to have. And more importantly, he knew the value of wine to the diner's experience. Not many chefs can say that, in my opinion. There's a lot of great oh. chefs out there. But not many chefs really understand wine or more importantly, understand how important it is to the dining experience. I mean, I've met some really talented chefs that are like way up there, but are completely intimidated by wine and want nothing to do with it. So, you know, for for the chef to be the owner and also, uh, you know, attuned to the value of the experience, it's an incredible partnership to have someone like that at the helm. So, you know, without a major influence in your life. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Without that, there's no way that, you know, we could have done the things and I could have learned the things I could have without that support. Um, So then why, at one point, why leave Oceanique? I know you worked (laughs) there for a while. Well, I think at some point that you jumped off. Yeah. After after nine years of being fired, maybe every month, uh, you know, and and still showing up the next day, um, you know, it's it's uh, that's family. You know, working with family was was incredible and it was a special experience to me. But I think for me, what I realized is that the restaurant was not my dream. Like that's not that was not my professional dream to Mm -hmm. to work at the restaurant and to to do that. It's a a, a difficult decision to walk away from when it's right. there. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I took a huge pay cut to leave the restaurant. I mean, that was, it was not a, it was not a financial decision. It was more of a like quality of life and, and what do I want out of life decision? I mean, um, my first job out of the restaurant, like I said, I think I was making half my salary at the restaurant, but I knew that I needed to push myself in a different professional direction in, in the wine industry in order to see what else is out there. You know, I, I, I think back to that time, it was really hard for me to make that decision um, it was really hard to to walk away from the community that we built at the restaurant and obviously the team. But I, I look back on it now and say that well, if I didn't do that, I wouldn't be here right now. You know, there's in, in terms of what I'm able to accomplish professionally, and it, it's tough. Like you know, you have to kind of jump or leap in order to see what else can be done. 
And, um, you know, I, I knew that I had the privilege and support of my parents that if I leapt and I fell, you know, I could always, could always rely on, you know, their support. And I think that's something else that I try to share with, you know, anyone that I'm mentoring or that I'm connecting with, who's curious about our industry is like, look, I'll, I'll be really clear. I had a lot of privilege to get into the industry and to be successful in the industry. That doesn't mean that I didn't have to work my ass off and grind. Or take chances, yeah. Or take chance, yeah, take yeah. risks. Um, but I, I, I fully, ex- I fully want to be transparent that, you know, um, my success is is definitely aligned and has been a direct result of the the support and uh, tutelage that my parents and our business provided me. So, what would you, know, you say is your biggest risk that you've taken? following your dream besides trying to show me a glass of white wine (laughs) (laughs) i Um, promise just smell it yeah you'll love it i mean i i think i think the biggest risk honestly goes back to our our previous you know chat of like be being myself i think i think that's like the scariest thing is because i can't change that once i've done that i've opened the door and if somebody sees how i am and they don't if they don't like me then you know i lose but i think the risk to reward is so much greater and in all reality i think it's for me it's um it makes me feel better about what i'm doing and so i think pushing myself professionally and to 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 grow on on aspects that are in my control i think it's the, the the aspects that are out of my control like you know somebody doesn't want to do business with me because i'm vocal about you know change in our our society and our culture and in our country like that's that's difficult to uh accept but at the same time you know these are things that i think are are really important for us to be discussing and talking about so yeah for sure yeah, that is a big. Are are you so you are able like politically to be very vocal because that's unusual working for someone. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I I <laughs> I would like to say that there's there has not, you know, um I'm I'm trying to be as thoughtful and and positive as possible with anything that I'm sharing, you mm-hmm. know, and I think I think that's really what I try to convey is like, look, we can have this discussion in a positive way. Then we've we we're doing our job and I think that's important to to be vocal about injustice and it's vocal to be to be vocal about um, positive change. I think it's important to, to, again, still stay grounded to the fact that, like, you know, we're we all have different backgrounds and we have all different kind of mindsets of certain challenges. But if we can come to the table and discuss those challenges with a glass of champagne, I guarantee you we will come to an outcome that is probably much better if we didn't have a glass of champagne. So, uh, you know, I think, I think that's, I think that's the common thread. Um, if yeah. we all had a glass of champagne around the table, I think we'd get a lot done, but you know, do you I, enjoy I, champagne more than wine? Well, I, I would, I, I appreciate you asking that. I, um, I, first and foremost, uh, champagne is wine. <laughs> so, so let's take a step back on that. And, and I'm going to tell you, you're not the first person to ask that question or, or yeah. to, to present it that way. I've met with some really really passionate and dedicated wine collectors. And when I start talking about our winery and our wine, they'll say, well, so I'm sorry, you know, I thought you guys said you guys make champagne. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, yeah. You, it we're, is wine. We're, we're, a, we're a winery that's in the champagne region of France. But yes, I'll tell you that champagne was my first love learning about wine. I was so fascinated by the variety, uh, the, the, the types of wines that could be made in such a small area 
Um, I love the craftsmanship involved. I love the ageability of the wines. And I love the overall quality dollar for dollar. I mean, I'm, I'm a bit of a bargain hunter personally. So as a young wine professional and learning how far my dollar would go, I felt like champagne was like a win-win. You know, you get to try a wine that's got probably, you know, 10, 15 years of work into the bottle for a very reasonable price, whether it's, you know, 40, 50, 60 bucks versus a, you know, current release bottle of, you know, wine from a winery that they just make one wine every year and then that's it. You know, we, we have to make wine every year, but we make it like 260 wines and then we blend them over the course of their aging. So that's, that's how we do things. So yes, I would say Champagne um, is my favorite region to drink by far. Uh, I, I do love a few other regions uh, in wine and I'm, an, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of it all. Yeah, so the other thing that, that we celebrate at our winery is we celebrate other great wineries. We're not um, only champagne lovers. We're fully confident that, like, you know, we can't always drink champagne. And we can try, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's, it's. What do you do when a- you go to a baseball game? What do you drink? <laughs> I mean, when you used um, to. He brings a bottle of champagne with me. Yeah. bring it with me. You know, I've been, I've been known to, to get champagne into some really difficult places. Um, but, but by all means, I mean, Having a beer at a baseball game, like, yeah, it's amazing. That's an, that's an incredible experience that everyone should have, you know, with a nice foot-long hot dog and some nachos. You know, I'm fully okay with understanding that in certain places, you know, we can't, uh, we can't have the full experience that we maybe want. I'll never forget going to a great show here in Chicago at the Chicago Theater. It was uh, a special, you know, classic show that Mark brought me to and uh, – He's he's got a he's got to connect you know with the, with the production team over there and and what was really incredible is that we were able to get some special bottles in to share in the moment you know and that's something that that's like awesome. you don't get a, normally get a chance to do and and it, you you know I could see on his face and you know I, I could see how I was feeling is that it meant a lot to have that experience together when you're listening to one of your favorite artists or your favorite band or you know and then to be able to ha- to tie in one of the things that are personal to you like wine or like art or, you know, some people, you know, like that, that it it transcends and it makes the experience so much greater. So, you know, going to a, to a rock hall and drinking champagne sounds like one of the coolest things you could do. You know, I mean, I, I, I don't care if it's in a solo cup, but let's have some fun and let's, um, you know, let's enjoy in, in, in the moment. You know, if you like beer, if you like red wine and you like champagne, I mean, more power to you. Let's have the full experience. Let's not water it down. You know, <laughs> uh, let's say someone is champagne curious. Uh, what bottle would you suggest to a newbie? <laughs> um, well, I'm a little I'm a little partial, but I would say our, our winery offers a very unique style of wine. You know, I would I would recommend, you know, starting with a basic uh, basics of champagne, looking for a house like a, um, a wine that's first and foremost in your budget. I'd say under fifty dollars is a great place to start. With champagne, we typically are not in that price point, but I, I think um, you know a first step. We have a sister winery called Piper Heidsick. They make a beautiful expression of champagne that is a very fresh and vibrant style of the region. Um, they're sourcing fruit from all over, so you really get a, a full breadth and range of the region in a very affordable package. And then I would say, you know, if you come and compare that wine to our wine, you'll see that even though we're in the same family. 
those wines couldn't be any more different. <laughs> They're yeah. so different. And, and that's because we age our wines for a very long time before they get into the bottle. And that's something that not many, if any, wineries in our region can do. So we just show you kind of like the, the night and day, like the yin and yang in many ways of the region. And so I would say, you know, that's a, that's a great place to kind of get your, your, um, your feet wet. And then you can jump into, you know, single vineyards and, and vintage specific wines, which are very uh, rare in our region. And then you can talk about aging champagne, which is once you taste, in my opinion, once you taste, you know, a 20, 30 year old bottle of champagne, that's what, you know, sold it for me. I was like, holy shit, like this is real. Like this, this is how it can be. And that's a that's a unique expression and experience. And it's not cheap, you know, but it's like it's like your friends with a boat. You know, it's it's much better to have a friend with a nice boat than have to worry about, you know, paying for the gas and the docking and right. all that stuff. You know, you just tell that friend, hey, I'll bring champagne, you know, and then you get invited to the boat again. So I think that's the way it works, uh, in my opinion. You make friends with champagne. Yeah. You, you know, I, I, I've, I'll never forget when we started doing service, you know, and uh, we're talking with our team all the time about like how to be better at service uh, at Oceanique. And um, Mark always, he had a great line. He goes, you know, no one's ever going to be mad at you for offering them a glass of champagne when they sit down. And <laughs> That's great. Like when you think about that, like it's true, you know, like, yeah, maybe, okay. A glass of champagne is probably not going to be cheap, but it's not like we're saying, Hey, we want your money. It's saying, Hey, like you want to have, you know, do you want to have a, a great glass of champagne to like get your, your night started? And I think it's a very honest and genuine comment that if somebody has a glass of champagne before their dinner, I guarantee you their night is going to be infinitely greater than if they didn't, in my opinion. So um, that's awesome. I uh, I would agree with that. And we're not as as we said earlier, we're not big champagne drinkers. But the times that we've had it with you, it has been quite enjoyable. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> you're you're welcome. You know I I, I love to share. It, it encourages you to share. You know I mean drinking yeah, a bottle sure. of champagne is, <laughs> by yourself is totally doable and totally acceptable. Um, sometimes we need it actually more than, than more than we actually want it. But I, I think champagne is such a, a great ambassador for wine in general, in many ways, where it kind of brings people together and it, it creates a conversation. And I think that's what's so beautiful about the region and the wines that we create that really compelled me uh, right from the beginning. That's awesome. That's awesome. I feel like you are really living your dharma, and we are so happy that you came on our program. No kidding. I Holy have to. Toledo. We have, um, we have a new segment on the out of each program, and it's called – wait, hold on. I'm going to use some of this pre-music that was given to me. Oh. Our segment is called It's 5 O'Clock Somewhere. Five quick questions, and I would like to get some answers from you. Are you ready? Shoot. One, you are given $10 million. What do you do next? Move. Move? <laughs> Where do you move? Um, I'm thinking I'm thinking Puerto Rico. Yeah. Oh. I'm thinking Puerto Rico. You know? Okay. Two, what's your favorite cocktail and where have you had the best one? Oof. Um... Favorite cocktail is probably the Caipirinha. Um, my boy Brandon Phillips made a mean one. Um, wherever he is, that's where I'm going. Number three, musician, group, or music that has inspired you changed your life? Uh, um, I'd say Most Def. Most Def, um, 
Oh his, damn, that's a his, good answer. Uh, Holy his work shit! Was, um, you know, it's 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 heady, and I crave the knowledge, and I crave kind of the the passion. And um, I think when I was like in my college days, those were really important words to hear and feel empowered. So yes, most definitely. Yeah. Number four, your favorite city in the world. Oh man, I'm crucified for this one. <laughs> favorite city in the world um is this in line with the 10 million dollar question or no like no. no okay all right favorite city in the world right now um i'm going with new york i, I think new york is the real deal i can't I wait to be back be, i thought it was gonna be new orleans it's close it's right. close but but you know I new york showed new me don't please don't please don't <laughs> My, my phone's already ringing. Oh, boy. <laughs> New York showed you what? They showed me love, and they showed me the power of when people come together to, to really, like, hustle at a pace. Um, you can do it, and you're, you can really, you know, you really can do it anywhere if you can do it there. So, thank you, New York. Oh, nice. Let's go. Uh, uh, number five. Five-year-old you is sitting in front of you. What's the best thing you could tell yourself? <laughs> um, uh, everything's going to be all right. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Everything's going to be all right. Yeah, I like it. That's Is good, it, man. Uh, do we all agree that this music was terrible? Yeah, but um, it was it was kind of <laughs> kind of great. <laughs> I know it was totally necessary. Totally necessary. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you, Philippe, for sharing your passion, sharing your joy, cause you have to. Thank you. Well, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Am I here? Um, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, guys. Please feel free to follow along on all these antics and my journey on Instagram. I'm Nick Sam, N-I-Q-U-E-S-O-M-M. And uh, check out a bottle of Charles Heitzig uh, when you have a moment this holiday season. One of these days, we'll get some champagne in your glass, Julie. I promise. Okay? Thank you. Can't wait. <laughs> I'm definitely down to try Charles and Piper. I looked it up yeah. as you were telling us about it, and it looks delightful, so... Guess who's grabbing the champagne this week? There you go. There you go. It's perfect time. Well, thank you guys. Yeah. All right. Thanks yeah, for being on. Thanks for listening to the Cuz I Have To podcast. Don't miss an episode by clicking subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Share the show with your friends. And if you dug what you heard, leave us a great review. And if you know somebody living their dharma, because they have to, and you think they'd be a great guest, email us at podcast at gmail.com. Till next time.